Hello, sports historians, and welcome to another special episode of Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Last episode, Karch Uninterrupted was so popular that we're deciding to launch Norm Uninterrupted, as in Norm Bass, the first black American post-World War II to play professional baseball and professional football. He did that in the early 60s, and then in the year 2000, he won a bronze medal in table tennis at the Sydney Olympic Games as a Paralympic athlete. It's a fascinating story, and he is a fascinating storyteller. You'll enjoy this 90 minutes straight. Norm, uninterrupted. Uh, I'm glad we're doing this as a coffee company because you, you come by here most days, huh? Six days a week. It's, it's, it's on your way back from the Y towards your house? At the Y, Westchester Y, on the way down, I go home this way. So mm-hmm. I stopped in here in 2000, and I've been uh, having breakfast ever since. I think the Y, now I know the Y is where we met, but um, I think we just, you know, just kind of had polite conversation, and then, then the Y had a, had, a, had a note up on the wall that said that you played you know pro football and baseball and and so forth and i asked you and you said you look me up yeah but you know you <laughs> we never did talk about none of this no, we didn't. i didn't i didn't talk about it. i thought no. you already knew a little bit about that. i didn't okay and, and you, you were surprised to hear that i, I right? sure was and and enthused because um you know i grew up such a sports fan and uh and grew up in this city and so you know when once you came down and 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 then dick bass i knew who he was because you know, we were big Rams fans growing up, so all of that was exciting for me. Um, so, Norm, I wanted to, you know, kind of start from the beginning, I suppose. Um, I know you're born in uh, Georgetown, Mississippi, right? No. No? Laurel, Damn. Mississippi. Laurel. My brother was born in Georgetown. Okay. Okay. Left there when I was two, mm-hmm. two or three. My dad brought us out of here when we were about that age. We went to California. Northern California. Yeah. So your 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 father grew up in in effect Jim Crow South, Mississippi, nineteen fourteen. Same thing board. that they had. Yeah. Yeah. He was all segregated. All that. Yeah. So so and and you came and you ended up in Northern California, and I think the um the shipping and maritime industry was was booming about they, that time. They had jobs that was mm-hmm. open there in Vallejo, and my dad was trying to find a job out of Mississippi, so he went to Vegas at first. Mm. Then he finally migrated to Vallejo, California, and he got a job there, and that's how we got out of here. Tell me a little bit about, um, you know, growing up in, in that part of the uh, country and and just your being your, your a child. Northern California? Yeah. Well, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about uh, discrimination or racism or nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Everything I learned, it was real. Mm-hmm. And my dad never did talk about none of that stuff, and so we – Grew up with sports, and that's all I ever wanted to do was just play sports. I wasn't interested in raids or mm-hmm. protests or none of that stuff. I just wanted to play ball, man. Well, you were um, now 10 years old, and you had, um, a, a, you know, you almost died, Norm. Yeah, I know. Tell me about the meningitis, right? Uh, one morning, man, I woke up, and, and uh, my eyes were closed. And I could take my finger and pull the lids up, and I could see. 
but I was I couldn't hardly get it up. So I told my dad when he was going to work that I was blind. I couldn't see. So my dad always knew I played little games and everything. So he said, won't you stop playing? I said, Dad, I can't see. So he didn't go to work. He put me in the car, took me to the hospital. And it was a small hospital. They did not quite know what was wrong with me. But this one doctor, Dr. Palm, a lady, she said, we got to take you to a bigger hospital. I think, I hope this is not what I, what I think it is. Wow. So they took me down there, and they said I had meningitis. And I didn't know what that was. And uh, Fort Ord and all the Navy bases and Army bases had that. And 98% uh, of the people died with this stuff. Yeah. But at 10 years old, you know, you don't know nothing about death and stuff like that. So when I'm talking to my dad, he took me down there and they put me in the hospital. And while I'm talking to him, all of a sudden I don't hear nothing. Mm. All my hearing left, 100%. I can't hear nothing. Mm. He's at the window. I thought he was playing games too. He's talking with his mouth like that and mm. I couldn't hear. And a couple of days passed and I was paralyzed. Then a couple more days come mm. along and I couldn't talk. And, wow. and I'm laying up in the hospital like that for about three months. And they came in the room and but bunch of priests and all this coming in. They reading the 23rd Psalms in my room. Wow. And they told my dad I was going to die. I wasn't going to make it. And I still don't know what's going on or nothing. So I'm laying up in the bed and they kept working with me, kept working with me. Finally, it it, it left me with loss of hearing in one ear and a little bit in the other ear. And I had to learn how to walk all over again. Unbelievable. And the eyesight came back, but the hearing did not. And so, but I was so wrapped up in baseball and football and sports that that didn't even make a dent in my life to make me not want to play. Norm, I'm gonna, um, yeah, I'm gonna give uh, credit to your son. Yeah. Norman Bass III for right. writing this great book, and I want to read from it for a second. It said, uh, and when I refer to Junior, um, that's you, right? No sooner that's was it. Junior admitted. His health started deteriorating at a rapid pace. His prognosis grew grimmer, and it was becoming increasingly clear he was not going to survive. As he inched closer and closer to death, a clergyman was summoned to his bedside. That's that's, that's so true. scary as a parent, too. Just, you know, being a parent, I couldn't imagine, you know, your, your, your folks must have really been beside themselves. Well, the rest of my family was quarantined. Wow. They wouldn't oh. let them, they wouldn't, they didn't know how I got this or was it infected or... Could other people get it? They didn't know. Wow. They still don't know. I was the only one in this town that got this. Wild. Yeah. That's why they came down here to check me out from all the army bases. And uh, they were trying to find out how I get that. My dad wasn't in the service or nothing like that. Literally one in a million here, Norm. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, Norm, now you're growing up um, in this area and, and you're playing sports. And, and from what I understand, your father um, – I think he said something to the effect of "You don't play nothing." Like, uh, like it's 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 about it's about playing. I mean, it's about going for it and and really playing to the highest level you can. Well, my dad always told me you got to be the best you can, mm-hmm. and you have to be twice as good as the other guy, mm. because uh, that's when I first started understanding something about discrimination. Mm-hmm. He said they're not going to let you play if you're just average. You have to be better than the other guy by a long ways, or it's obvious. Mm-hmm. So me and my brother, we trained hard, real hard. We worked out. We ran three or four miles every morning going to high school. We get up and run around this mountain. We run, run. The rest of the guys be sleep. 
But when the game started, we could outlast them. We, we had more stamina. We, was, we were just better than they was. They wasn't in no shape. We was. So that was my whole thing right there was to be ready to play. Now you went to what was the middle school called that you went to? Was it was it like Vallejo's Middle School or something? It or? was Highland School. It was a school that was not in my neighborhood. I was taken out of my neighborhood because I couldn't hear. I see. At this particular school, they had a special class for lip reading. I see. Okay. And I had to go all the way across town, out of my neighborhood, and I went over there for four years. And they had a uh, one class that I had to take. So I could, in case I lose all my hair and I could read lips. I see. So they sent me there. You, you now, and, and you've retained that skill throughout your life? Yeah, I can still read them, but I don't mm. tell people that when I do, they talk like this. And, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what they do, and they get silly. <laughs> a lot of times I'll be speaking at a banquet, and I tell them, and I said, now be careful what you're saying. I can read lips up here. <laughs> and they'd be talking about me, cussing me out out there. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's sometime I repeat what they say and they get embarrassed because yeah. I, I can read lips. You know? I, I was going to say, yeah, you, you, I was going to say, I, I noticed that you didn't listen to me, nor did you listen to the reading of my lips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do it. But you were processing. I saw you. So now um, tell me about the being uh, at Vallejo High School and being an Apache. Did you, you enjoy your high school years there? I had been. That was the most fun in the world. Mm -hmm. I would have played. Even in the pros, free. <laughs> you didn't have to pay me. I would have just give me the lunch money and tell me where they're playing. I, that's how much I love sports. And any kind of sport it was, I could play anything. I wasn't a football player on a basketball court. And you look and say, that guy's not a basketball player. Mm -hmm. But I looked like the rest of them. I could play the game, whatever they was doing there. Your, your father taught you a lot of sports. He, he had a background. He was a boxer, right? He's a prize he fighter. He was a black middle, a middleweight champion of Mississippi. Unbelievable. And so, and, but he, he was familiar with all sports, and he brought you boys up playing yeah, a lot of sports. he played semi-baseball, pro baseball mm. in Vallejo. And we used to shag balls for my dad and all okay. that. Now, um, I want to, uh, the listeners, I want them to understand who Dick Bass was. So, He's two years older than you. About two, yeah. Yep, and um, he's built a little different. You're you're a little taller, and he's and about five nine. And he, in high school, he was one sixty five. He was um, he set the state high school record, thirty seven touchdowns in nineteen fifty four as a high schooler, yeah. and then um, all American at College of the Pacific now P yeah. um, now now Pacific, and then um, second pick in the draft of the Rams. Three-time pro, pro bowler, so he had. Well, a, he had actually, a, he was number one, but the number one that they had went to the other league. Oh, I see. Who was the but number? But in do you the NFL, who the he was the number one draft with the Rams. Do you remember who the number one was? That yeah, you? Billy Cannon. Oh, Billy Cannon. Billy like Cannon, Louisiana or something. He or? went to LSU. LSU. And uh, he gained about six hundred yards. Dick gained about two thousand, whatever. And he <laughs> went to Heisman. Dick didn't win that. Dick should have um, won that. But mm -hmm. they, a black dude had never won that title before at that time. That's something. The first guy to ever win it was 1960. Okay. He was a guy named, uh, what was his name, Ernie? Uh, he, he, he oh, Ernie he, Davis. Yeah, he, right? went, he died. Syracuse? He died in camp. Syracuse. Yeah, he, he was sick. He had leukemia or something. He died. Yeah. He went to the same school Jim Brown. And then Jim to. Brown followed him. Okay. So, um, so we're talking uh, 50s. You guys um, are at uh, Vallejo High School, and you, you play, so you're a you're playing all three sports. Four, four. That's what is track. The oh, track, baseball, yep. basketball, and football. Football season. Football season. Everything that was seasonal, I would play. Mm-hmm. And 
one interesting thing I found when you were in your senior year, right? You uh, were picked to play in the Shrine game. That's it. Right? So, so tell me a little bit about getting picked for that. That was when it was north versus south? It was north against the south. South had beat the north to death for about six, seven years in a row. North had never won. My coach had to sell me to the other coaches because Vallejo didn't have nobody to go down there. So he told them that I was the best defensive player in Northern California. That's what he told them. So it was Northern California versus Southern California, and the Shriners were like um, would put on the tournament. And, yeah. and, I mean, would put on the big game. Now, Norm, did they have like a week of practice or something like we that? We practiced about two weeks. We, mm. And then we practiced, we practiced at old Pepperdine over there in Vermont. Mm. It was Pepperdine College. That's where we practiced right there. Is that right? Yeah. And you, um, you seemed to win every position. Like you were the best kicker. Well, what had happened? What had happened there? We had a quarterback that they had picked, and he was mm-hmm. a little bitty guy, pretty frail, mm-hmm. and he would get knocked down easy in the scrimmages, and he couldn't throw the ball. Like the write-up said, he was all-American, but he didn't didn't do it. So. I could play fullback, halfback, any position. So we only had one fullback. When he got tired, I'd fill in for him. And they would take the ball and pitch it back to me, and I'd run and I'd throw a pass. And I kept completing this thing, 30 yards, 40 <laughs> yards. And the coach said, Norm, you ever been a quarterback behind the tee? I said, yeah, in the 10th grade. He said, get back there. And I got back there and got a couple of snaps. So when the game started, I'm the starting quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, and you won the kicking position as well, right? Well, uh, that was automatic, and it couldn't, they couldn't. I was kicking good then. That's what and I was doing it. And, and then on defense, they played you on defense. I was a safety man on defense. <laughs> I was a safety on defense. I, I, I played fullback. I played uh, quarterback. I intercepted a pass in that game. I kicked three extra points. Kicked off. Did all that. Okay, go over that again. That's, then, I, w- I want to hear your stats again. Okay. I kicked off three times. We right. scored three times, 21 points. Okay. Okay. I intercepted a pass in that game. Okay. I played fullback in that game. I threw a touchdown pass, 70, 70, 70 some yards. Yep. And when it got down to the trophy, my name wasn't mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's where discrimination I don't really – I don't really, mean to laugh, but it's so <laughs> terrible. Well, here's where it really kicked in, where I really understood what that was all about. Okay. And, man, I had headlines in the paper the next day, right on the top. Norm saved the South. He saved the Bass's name. He did this. And at the bottom it said, uh, and so-and-so was picked for the MVP. I said, are you kidding me? Do you know who the MVP was? Yeah. It was a guy named Ted Kano. That's right, he was. I'll never forget all this. San Francisco Poly, something like that. Yep. Ted Kano. And I remember the guy I threw the pass to. It was uh, the guy that went to El Cerrito, Willie Woods. Oh, Willie Woods. He played UCLA. Well, it's a different guy. Oh, it's a okay. different guy. But, now, you know, I almost went to UCLA. You uh, you played this game at the Coliseum, though, right? At the Coliseum. Where your brother eventually would become a, a star. Dick, um, Dick you played to- the year before I did. Okay. Now, you went to um, you almost went to UCLA? Yeah. Hmm. But they wanted me to play football, and at this point in my life, I thought I was a better basketball player. And COP offered me a basketball scholarship. There's so, so I went I went to COP oh. on a basketball scholarship. Here's something, Norm, that was said about you while you were still in high school. It what said, Norm Bass, and I think this comes from a, a, like a writer or something. His name is Dan Gleason, Don Gleason. Norm is a superior athlete in his own right. He's a graceful six foot one, 180 pounder. The Leeson young man possesses multiple skills, 
to make good in just about any athletic endeavor. Some envision him as a major league pitcher. Scouts literally drool when they see the big fella effortlessly steam his swift delivery. Scouts demand size, a good fastball, and poise in their mound prospects. Norm fulfills those requirements. There's no reason in the world Norm shouldn't be a top-flight hurler in the majors. So that's, that's them talking about you when you throw in 95 miles an hour as a high schooler. How come um, basketball was more prominent in your mind than baseball at this time? Well, you know, everybody practiced basketball in the backyard. Mm-hmm. It's easy. You don't need a whole bunch of guys to play mm-hmm. basketball. Uh, baseball, you need five or six guys at least. So when I went out there to play uh, basketball, it was fun. Mm. And plus, I could shoot real well. I could shoot real good. Okay. And uh, I remember we played the exhibition game against the Trotters. Against the Globe Trotters? Yeah. How old were you? Oh, I was uh, I was playing big about 22. Is that right? And at halftime, I had 37 points. Come on. No. <laughs> 37. They, yeah, and they came in the dressing room, Goose and all them said, hey, Red, that's what they call me, Red, you're going to have to lighten up. We're supposed to win this. Yeah. <laughs> they, they wanted you to act like you were on the Washington Generals. They wanted Generals. me to play with them. They tried to sign me. <laughs> really? But the owner of the baseball team wouldn't let me do it. That's that's at that. Well, that's, that's great. Charlie, Charlie O said, no, get off the basketball court. Oh, wow. Let, but, me, um, let me ask you something, Norm. Uh, I want to get back to that because the um, – the Trotters, Globetrotters are one of my seminal moments as a kid that made me love basketball. But I kind of want to follow you now. So you wanted to play hoops, and so College of the Pacific offered you a basketball scholarship. Basketball scholarship. And so when you went there, did you also play football? Oh, yeah. Because it, 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 it was the fall. It was seasonal. Because it was the fall. I ended up playing football <laughs> anyway, even though I was on a bas- basketball okay. scholarship. And, and, and did you play quarterback uh, in football as freshmen? You probably played JV, right? You had, no, we had to play freshman, freshman football. We go undefeated. I'm the quarterback. Okay. We go undefeated. Yep. And so when, we get to, when I get to a sophomore here, where the stuff start? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm undefeated. The man called me in the office and said, Norm, we want to talk to you. I said, well, go ahead and tell me you're going to move me somewhere else. You don't <laughs> want me to be the quarterback. He said, no, Norm, it's not that. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Black dude couldn't be a quarterback in them days. Couldn't yeah. be a center. Couldn't be a linebacker. Couldn't be a, like, middle those linebacker. positions called for a lot of thinking. Yeah. And black people can't think, so they said, we don't want to put him there. Apparently, apparently thinking didn't involve a 9-0 record. Yeah, yeah. but that didn't mean, that didn't yeah, mean just, yeah, that just came from nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I experienced that in, in sure. my, my career and everything. But, you know, when I was coming along, we didn't have – we never saw Major League Baseball. Hmm. Except on television. Pacific was, League was like a well, triple Well, the Jazz kind of was not out here then. Right. The Dodgers was not here. It was no major league team. It was a triple A baseball AAA. team was out here. Well, that's all we saw. So I didn't get the chance to see Willie Mays or Mickey Mantle and all them guys. I just read about them. Did you have the uh, minor league, like was it the Seals that were up your way in Vallejo area? Or what, what minor league team was it? It was not in Vallejo, but they, they had a team in uh, Sacramento. Okay. And they had one in Stockton. Mm. Uh, but, but it was no triple-A. You know, triple-A is where Joe DiMaggio and all them guys played in that league. So it wasn't long after you played, you know, football at UOP or what's, what was then COP that you headed for Kansas City. Well, what had happened was that uh, I got silly and I had this girl pregnant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you're young. <laughs> Yeah, young man. I'm, I'm 17, 18 years old, sure. 17. Mm-hmm. And uh, they made me get married. Mm. 
Your parents? When I say made me, they gave me a choice. In those days, you had a choice to go to jail mm. or marry the girl. Wow. So I went to uh, Reno, Nevada and got married. Okay. And, but I, and I, I was feeling terrible. I wanted to cut my wrist and all that. Mm. Guys, my brother and all them guys were teasing me. I had to get out of there. Mm. So I signed a major league, uh, minor league contract. You got a big 4K for it. No, in them days, like I say, <laughs> black dude didn't get no money, man. But I got 4000 That was a yeah, lot of money. That's not bad. I got something. That's good. And most black dudes get shoes, inner soles for <laughs> shoes. <laughs> so you got that and you moved to Kansas City. What was the um, – was that the first time, like, you'd been an extended period away from home and Well, and, that's and the so first forth? time I've ever been out of the state out of, of the California state. since we've been here. Sure. And I was the first one in our whole town, that little town that – Went on to play professional baseball. And uh, I didn't know too much about that. And they sent me to Florida. That, that was your first assignment for rookie yeah, ball? I went to, no, I went down there. I was signed to a double-A contract when I was 19. Mm. But the double-A team was in Little Rock, Arkansas. They weren't going to have you there. Can't, can't play there. No. So they sent me to Pocatello, Idaho, where I could play. And that's where I played my first year. Were there any white people in Idaho? Yeah, and I'm, looking, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking for somebody that looked like me, but it wasn't. It wasn't so. Wow, and I never seen snow before was either. That, was that a culture shock? I mean, I'm sure it was, but you know, I mean, I'm sure you had to make a lot of adjustments as a young man. Well, uh, I couldn't go in a lot of restaurants up in Idaho, man. Yeah, they still had all that stuff going on up there. Wow, the the, the waitress didn't know how to say that she couldn't serve me. Mm. I said, what's the problem? I made her say it. She said, well, the owner said we can't give you food. I said, you kidding me? Let me tell you a story one time there. Mm-hmm. We were in Idaho, right? And the, and the girls and boys, they work in the stands. They clean the seats. Mm-hmm. So me and this girl, we used to talk all the time at the ballpark, and we became friends. So she invited me to come to her house, meet her parents, and have dinner with her parents, right? And I'm in class C ball. This is C. Mm-hmm. But I'm better than the C ball, but that's where the only place they could put me. So I'm sitting up there eating pheasant and stuff I ain't never seen. I'm eating it. And the <laughs> rest of the people were eating, but they was eating fast, real fast. And they got all finished before I was halfway through. And I was wondering, what's going on in here? So they go in the living room, and I'm sitting there. When I got through, they say, come on, Norm, come on in here. So I go in the room. They say, okay, what you do? You sing? You dance? What you going to do? <laughs> oh, my gosh. That, that is awful. I don't <laughs> mean to, I, I laugh out of just out of That's what they said to disdain. me. Boy, I was so mad I couldn't even see. That's what they asked me. Goodness. Oh I mean, they, they, they had never seen or been around black folks. And I'm when sure. They, and they had read and heard, and that's what they asked me. Man. I said, you've got to be kidding me. This is before the Look Who's Coming to Dinner movie came out. All that. Yeah, before and that. You had to the break 50s. the ground this before. This is the 50s. Yeah, you had to break that ground. Boy, that must have been uncomfortable for you. It was real bad. Well, in college, uh, the white kids that came to COP came from little towns like Placerville, California. Mm-hmm. No blacks lived there. And the first time they ever saw a black person was at college. Well, that's what, that's, you know, that's what college served that purpose for a and lot of people. When I, when I go out with them and talk to them, they would rub my hand and see what that come off. They would oh, grab that, and I'd take my shoe off, let them get my toes. <laughs> <laughs> I got silly with it. No wonder you got I kicked said, out of restaurants. I said, any, any different? They said, no. I went through all that. But, it's, you know, I didn't get mad to the point where I'd, I'd go to jail over there. I just figured that these people just don't know. 
these were the days, Normo, and you would be like, you go rookie ball, and then you go D, C, B, A, double A, triple A. You did had you, to did you have to stop least, everywhere? You had to spin at least by the standards of baseball was three to four years in the minor league before mm. you can come to the big league. Yeah, like even Maury Wills didn't get on the Dodgers roster until he was like 27. Ten years. Yeah, it was it was it was but, ridiculous. But but the, the, the Willie Mays even went to the minor league. Right. But Ernie Banks never did go to the minor league. So so every franchise might have had discretion over it, but that's generally well. He the played role. in the black league. That was that was oh, enough I see. He experience the Negro he leagues. had, okay. and he was awful good. But I was ready before they called me up. When you were in the minor leagues, Norm, does, is that when any of your arm trouble started? It started in 1959. Mm-hmm. So I uh, went home for three quarters of a year and didn't pitch that year. I pitched in 58. Mm-hmm. Pitched in the winter league, 58. Great season. No trouble. 59 when the arm trouble started. Mm. In 1959, I had to go to the different doctors. They sent me to the Mayo Clinic. They sent me to John Hopkins. They sent me all over the United States. And at this time, you are pretty much just throwing fastball? Yeah. No, fastball. So n- nothing else until you and got to the base. there was no such thing as Tommy John or none of that. Sure, of when your not. arm go bad, they say, well, that's it, son. Take a couple of aspirins to go home. What um, and then and then so you would you would play in these minor leagues and then you'd come home for extended period like the summer or like late summer fall or something like that. Would you come back uh, home? The season was over early in September, mm-hmm. and then you would go home and have to get a job. Sure, because six months of playing baseball didn't pay enough to cover the year. Had your family moved down to Los Angeles at this point because Dick was on the um. Uh, oh, yeah. Rams. Is well, that we, yeah. well, we moved to California in the 40s. Well, sure. No, I meant, did they move from uh, Northern California to Southern California at this point? No. Not yet? Never did. Oh, never did? Okay. No, my mother and father stayed in Vallejo. When did you start staying in Los Angeles area? 1960. Oh, about 60. Okay. Me and Dick, was he was with the Rams first year, and me and him lived together. And so, we, we was close, so we lived together all them years. So it's 1961, and this is the year you get... Called up to the A's. Is this correct? What, yeah, what had happened was that they uh, called me and told me they was going to invite me to come to camp. Invite. <laughs> that means that you could go down there and they want to see was you good enough to play. Sure. Okay, so I'm one of them kind of dudes. I don't do nothing halfway. So I started pitching in these little semi-pro leagues and getting my stuff real sharp. In the old days, the players didn't stay in shape all year. Mm-hmm. They'd come to spring training to, to get, get in shape. shape. Like that's what Shaq did. In the all of them did that. <laughs> yeah. But when I went to, when I come to Kansas City, I was ready to pitch. You're ready to go. And when I was throwing batting practice, they couldn't hit the ball. And I wasn't even throwing hard yet. And they was telling me, rookie, slow down. And I said, well, <laughs> I'm not throwing hard yet. They couldn't hit the thing. And I was so disappointed when I got to the big leagues because I thought those guys was better than – what they was. Sure. Because I had this image of Mickey Mantle was bigger than life and mm-hmm. all these guys. And I come to find out I could outrun them. Right. <laughs> I could throw harder than the rest of them. I was in better shape, all that. But and I didn't know that. I had nothing to compare it with. The National League had a little bit of a jump on the American League in terms of uh, overall talent, I think. Well, in they did days. because yeah. they were uh, the first ones to sign Jackie Robinson right. and this and that. Mm-hmm. So a lot, you, yeah, a lot of the American League came around late to that. You know who's the last team to get a black player in the American mm, probably League? Probably Boston. Yeah, Boston yeah. Red Sox. It's always Boston. <laughs> guy so named Pumpsy Green. It's a common theme on my uh, on my show. It's 
this, these Boston people. <laughs> Did you know who was the first NBA team to put five black players on the court? Might have been Boston. Boston again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's because Red liked to win. Yeah, he, uh, he, he wasn't yeah. interested in what you looked like. Yeah, he, he was more interested in winning than anything. So tell me a little bit about being up in uh, – now you're living in Kansas City, obviously, full-time. And um, I read somewhere where you're throwing over 100 miles an hour at this point. I, I had it up to 100. We wow. didn't have, there wasn't no guns. How, how did they? See, I had an easy motion, but when I got about right here to here is where my speed was. And the batter was kind of relaxed a little bit, and that ball would jump on him. I didn't throw hard back here. I threw mm. from here to here. And this is where you would learn a curveball? Uh, different guys showed me how to throw a slider and this and that. Joe Nuxall showed me how to throw a slider. A guy named Bob Shaw used to show me how to throw a curve, and I didn't know. See, when you're growing up in Vallejo, there was nobody there that was professional. Mm-hmm. They didn't Makes show. Sense. They couldn't teach fundamentals. I didn't even know how to put the foot on the rubber to pitch, man. What? I had it straight away. You're supposed to have it. You're supposed to lift it and turn it. Yeah, sure. I didn't learn. So when I learned that, the fastball got that much faster. Wow, of course it did. Yeah. Isn't that something? I didn't know about a jacket. You're supposed to wear a jacket when you get to pitching. <laughs> yeah. But when I went to spring training, I loved the bat. I could hit. Right. And when I first pitched in one of those exhibition games, they told me to go out in the outfield and shag balls. I said, what about the bat? What about He said, pitchers don't hit down in spring training. I said, what do you mean? I'm mad now. So I'm out in left field fussing. And one of them old dudes heard me fussing. He, called, he wouldn't got the magazine manager. It's a young dude out here think he's supposed to hit. And he's out here fussing his butt off. And so they got on the microphone and they called my name. They said, Norm, come up to hit. We're in a game. I came, up, I came up to bat. And they, all the people were looking. I hit a ball on top of the palm tree. <laughs> yeah, just got lucky and hit it on top of the palm tree. And that day on, all the pitchers batted. Yeah, I changed all that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> now, so what, what's really interesting is um, you're a big personality, but so is this Charlie Finley. And he just, it's right around this time he buys the Kansas City A's. And now, for those that don't know who Charlie Finley is, he's probably one of the most influential owners in the history of baseball. Yeah. He's like a maverick type of guy. He, he eventually introduced the designated hitter, night games to the World Series. But he also had all this crazy stuff going on to bring ticket to, to, to ticket well, sales. Well, he tried to put monuments in center field, <laughs> graves and all that, because the Yankee Stadium, they got graves yeah. out there in center, but it's big. And he wanted to do the same thing. They wouldn't let him. So he had a bunch of little kids dressed up like shepherds. And he put sheep on the other side of the, of the fence. And they would be up there with the sheep. And he would paint them green, red. He would do all that stuff. It's hilarious. I, um, what I could ascertain is he liked you a lot because you were self-assured and confident, much like him. And he took a liking to you, and, and he really seemed to. But prom- yeah, I also got along with his kids. We were, I was only uh-huh. 22, and they was right around about my age. I okay. used to play catch with his oldest boy, and mm. he couldn't play, but I used to play catch with him. Mm-hmm. And we were real good friends, so he liked all that. Mm. He, he had a zoo out behind left field or something like that? Huh? Like he'd have animals out behind left field for people well, to Well, he come. had the sheep up there. <laughs> Then he bought that, that mule, Charlie O, he called him. The mule would walk around the ballpark with a big sign on it. Yeah, he was he was a, a maverick. That's the best. He was an insurance salesman. He sold more insurance than anybody in the world. Right. That's how he got his money. And then he got his money, and he, he bought half the team, and then he bought the other half, and, he's, and he was full He lived owner. in Gary, Indiana, Indiana oh, okay. right outside of Chicago. Sure. 
And every time we beat Chicago, he would give you $100 cash, all ones. <laughs> <laughs> Stripper money, huh? <laughs> and he had, and when we had dinner out there, he had a, he had steaks. He had a professional cooks out there cooking these steaks. Oh, he was something else. How come he gets? He does get a bad rap with some of his employees, and but not necessarily as players. Well, if you if you don't produce now, mm. now he take money back from you, <laughs> in which I thought that was right. I didn't see nothing wrong with it. I was going to be and him agree. I give you $100,000 and you don't play. Give me the money back, right? Give me the money back. And Finley would take the money back. And that's a no-no because the union come in there and these guys get $30 million a year. Next year is still guaranteed. That, that wasn't true with Finley. He upset your manager, though, Joe, Gord, uh, Joe Gordon, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Because he basically was telling Gordon, I guess, to pitch you? Well, what had happened was Joe Gordon was – Respected as a renowned manager, mm-hmm. and uh, and he was a he was he was a manager, and the, and the the general manager was known also. Hmm. They determined that they was going to send me to the minor league, hmm. and they wasn't going to let you have to pitch. You have to in order to make the team. You got to be there more than thirty days. I see. After thirty days, they sent out who they want to send out, and that's the roster. And they were, 29 days had passed, and I hadn't pitched yet. So Finley said, I want to see him pitch. So I come to the ballpark, and there's the ball sitting on my locker, on my bench, mm-hmm. on my chair. That means that you are the pitcher. But they didn't tell me that. I was up all night, pissed off, going to the nightclub. I don't drink, but I'm playing music all night because I'm getting ready to go to the minor league. Uh-huh. I go to the ballpark, and I'm, I'm pitching. I'm really pissed off. So I get in the game, and at this point, no pitcher on our team had won and went the distance yet. That particular game, I went the distance. You gave who, up two runs. Who would you pitch against? Minnesota. Okay. I gave up two runs. And they still were going to send me out. And so Finley said, wait a minute. This is the only guy I got can win a game. How, why were you sending <laughs> right. out? He don't know nothing about strategy. But because I had an option, they got a thing called an option. Mm-hmm. If you are called up to the big leagues and don't make the team, they got three options to send you back and nobody can get you. And I had options. That's why they were going to send me out, not because I couldn't play. Right. And so Finley overruled them, and they got into a few. And with I can me. imagine, and he's the and owner. I, and I make headlines, and Bass gets one more chance. I ain't did nothing. <laughs> And they said we're gonna, and so they said, well, we're gonna let him pitch one more game and see what he looked like. So they put me in the game in Chicago. I go seven. We got beat on the error. Mm. I got pitched a great game. They couldn't say anything, and that went on for about two months. Mm. Then they said, well, we're gonna put him in the game in Washington. I go out there and pitch a shutout. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so that went on. So I make headlines. So finally, when all that settled. That's when I realized I was in the big league. That's when the excitement came down. There's um, something that uh, anybody who's listening to this or knows you from the Y will understand. You're a little bit of a woofer. Oh. Yeah. I wasn't the first one, but I talked more than anybody that, that played, though. This is from your uh, son's book. This was the time period when Junior became a draft uh, practitioner in the art of talking shit. The element <laughs> of woofing was nothing revolutionary particular for amateur and professional Negro athletes, riling and distracting an opponent with personal insults, needling and prodding an opposer to the point of fisticuffs was the ultimate goal. 
the roots of baseball smack had been firmly grounded in the Negro Leagues. Where yeah. um, did this um, all come from? Is it a little bit of your childhood, a little bit of what you saw? Well, it was it, growing up, they had a thing called the Dozens. The Dozens. And it, that means that you talk about another guy's mama. Okay. And if you do that in the black race, you would get killed. Okay. But you also had to be this good to do that. And I was pretty good with this. Good with the fisticuffs. So it wasn't just the talking. I could handle this also. Sure. And I was bigger than most of them guys, so they had to take it. So when I got to baseball, there nothing changed. That was my personality. So I talked to these guys. I said, no, since you're playing tonight, man, you ain't going to be able to hit this smoke. I would tell them guys all that. <laughs> and then when I strike out a guy, I said, man, take it on back to the dugout. Don't look what you're looking. Don't look back. <laughs> and I'd be talking all that. And they had never heard that kind of stuff. <laughs> and they heard a little bit of the wolf, but not much. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> and I was doing that but winning. But winning. Now, did your teammates um, – I'm sure your te- – if I was your teammate, I would love this. Yeah, they I, did. Right? But, I mean, were there some people who pushed back? No, they didn't have enough. To, they couldn't talk enough. Okay. They had a little bit of thing, but they couldn't do enough. Okay. Anything they could get on me, they loved that, but they couldn't get nothing. Something that um, when I think about it and, you, and now that place you had in history there – and when I say – I want to make sure our listeners know. When I talk about the Kansas City A's, they're the precursor to the – Oakland Athletics, okay. so they're, you know, um, they're up there. But you're in the American League, and so you're visiting Yankee Stadium. And, I mean, that must have been something. I mean, growing up, a baseball fan, my ultimate goal, I, I, I knew I wouldn't be a pro baseball player, but I knew I was going to go to Yankee Stadium just well, to see when it. I was when I was about seven, eight years old, me and my sister were close. Mm. She's about a year and a little bit younger than me, but we were close. And my brother, he was the oldest brother, so we, we, he wasn't close to like we were. Mm-hmm. And I used to tell her all the time, I said, Dorothy, I'm going to pitch in the big leagues one day. Mm. And she used to say, won't you stop that? <laughs> I said, I'm going to pitch it. I'm going to strike Mickey Mantle out. That's what I told her. And at seven years old. Look out. So when I got to New York, I'm on the mound, I'm pitching, and Mantle came to the plate, struck him out. And I said, I got the <laughs> Mick. I got the Mick. I got him. <laughs> Blackout. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, I struck him out the first time I saw him. And I balled my fist up and because I, I knew my sister, I used to tell her that. I said, I got him. Got him. And, and you, got, you got the Mick, um, but, but Roger Maris is also in that lineup. Uh, in that first game in New York, he didn't do nothing. Okay. He went over for three. Uh-huh. But he got me in Kansas City. He got you. Got me good. And this was in 1961. 1961, July, they, everybody was speculating whether or not he would get to 61 home runs. So it was, would he get 61 and 61? And the difference was, I think the Babe only played maybe 142 games or something. 154. 154. And then and this, we played 162. And so he got, he got those eight extra games. So that was some hubbub, and they talked about the asterisk and so forth. But nonetheless, it was a great achievement. And um, even though he took you deep, your name is going to be cemented in history forever. I'm in, I'm as, in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, right. Like I'm, I'm listed it's, it's to all listed. pitcher that threw it up there. I'm That's in the fantastic. Hall of Fame. Big list, number 27. That's me. so cool. Nice. It is. It's, but you know, almost, at the time. Do you, do you remember that, the, um, that oh, at bat? I, I, I remember what happened there. I threw a fastball by his knees. He's a low ball hitter. 
Yeah. He hit that thing over the wall, over the back wall, and landed on top of a barbecue joint over there. Oh, yeah. He hit it a mile. But at the time he hit the home run, nobody would have ever thought that he was going to go on and do all this. Okay. Because 27, that's yeah. a long ways from 60. Sure is. Because he didn't hit 61 until the last game of the, last season. Of the season. But at that time, and just think how smart some of these guys are. He played in Kansas City, Roger Maris. He hit 16 home runs the year before I got there. Mm. 16. Hmm. But the ballpark is 350, 370, 420, big, big ballpark. Mm-hmm. Yankee Stadium, 301 down the right yeah, line, right, a little right. short fence. So they visualized if we take this guy, he's a pull hitter, mm-hmm. and put him in New York, those fly balls will be home runs. That's right. And that's what they did with him. Okay. He was a warning track hitter in Kansas City. You know, he hit the, they catch the ball. Mm-hmm. But in New York, he was a power hitter. Only because the ballpark is small. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And he hit that last one, if I remember right, in, uh, right over that 301 foot. Like Tracy the last one. Stollard was the guy. That, that pitched that one? That, that threw up the home run. Hmm. But, see, I get letters from kids, fan mail. I get about 15 a month. And here it is 400 years later when I played. <laughs> and the kids still write. I, I just showed you one. This is, yeah. a, this is one here. Oh, that's what? Let me see. That's a fan mail letter. This is the one right here. Can I, can I take a look pre- at it? So this is when you're on the Kansas City A's, right? That's when they sent those pictures. They want me to sign them. Let's see. Dear and Mr. They write Bass, letters. I'm a big baseball fan. Yeah. So this is, uh, let's see, 61, 63. So this is a current. Um, so they sent this. They sent that to uh, the last, uh, this week. And it's, and it's uh, from Kingwood, Texas. It says, I'm a big baseball fan, <clears throat> a real big A's fan. I follow the. Uh, I follow the team closely and know a lot of the history of the franchise and teams and players in Philadelphia, Kansas City, and in Oakland. So for those that don't know, it, the athletics started in Philadelphia, yeah. then Kansas City, then Oakland over the years. Uh, congratulations on your A's playing and pitching career. I know you played for Kansas City for three years from 61 to 63. I was hopeful that you could autograph the enclosed baseball. Oh, cards baseball cards uh, from me to, so I can add them to my ace collection. That's awesome. Those uh, are the four pictures I showed you. I'd greatly appreciate it and have also enclosed a stamped return envelope for you. <laughs> All right. Let's get smart. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to sign them for me. And most sincerely, Michael, that's awesome. Sometimes I get a letter from China or Japan or somewhere in the world but i averaged about 15 a month you know i didn't play till the 60s man yeah and i'm getting these letters here from these kids that is that i is signed every one that of is them you, that is something i um i grew up as uh when i was young and me and my me and my buddy at the time we played a game called stratomatic and it represented every baseball team in the league on okay. on these cards and you would roll dice and the pitcher would oppose the hitters and so if you rolled a six, it would go to the hitter. Or it, and so it was one black dice and two white. And, and it really played out statistically, but it taught you the game of baseball. And I know that's how I learned rosters from baseball teams oh, yeah. long ago. And I could only imagine being like a baseball fan like that. And then, and then you go, okay, I could write this guy. You know, you know it really brought you closer to – to you the game. Through, through to the game and then to the person through statistics, which is at the heart of baseball. Well, they, they even send letters and want me to sign it this way. Norm Bass, number 27. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Roger Maris, they want me to sign that. 
Yeah, they want me to coach. They got a, uh, a signature of every pitcher who threw up a home run that year. That is he only got me one time. But some pitchers he got three or four times. <laughs> yes, sir. He sure did. But, sir. you know, sometimes they, they'll, they'll send a letter and they'll say, if, if I send you some photos, a picture of you, would you sign them? Mm-hmm. And I'll write back and tell them, yeah, I'll sign it. So this guy sent a box. What if they send it to you and they don't give you a, a, a self-addressed envelope? <laughs> oh, they, 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 they send money for, for me to buy the stamps. <laughs> okay. They put 20. Oh, so nice. this guy, I told the guy, okay. So he sends a box. Uh-huh. 200 pictures was in there. Oh, my goodness. And he had, it was 10 by 12. <laughs> and I said, dang, this cat want me to sign all this? But right up under the cover, about three four $400. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask for no money, but he slipped that in there. <laughs> All right, well. Okay. And they do that stuff. Yeah. But that's been going on for quite a while. Norm, um, so, and and I could talk baseball all day, but you got, you got so much more to your life. I want to make sure I get, I get to some of this. Um, a really interesting period of time I see is during the um, 60s. Uh, your brother's playing for the Rams. You're playing for the Kansas City A's. And you got a group of friends, and you're over there in where, where St. Elmo meets La Brea, uh, pretty much that area. And it's, it becomes this kind of touch point for culture at that time. So if they're a black athlete or entertainer, you're coming to your guys' neighborhood for the great parties and the great fun. Um, and you guys named yourself the Black Pack, right? We, we, had, we had a party every day in that place. <laughs> We played poker every single day at St. Elmo Drive. The women in Los Angeles said they would never be caught in there. Right. And every time you look around, there's one that said that. She's sitting <laughs> right up in there because they just had to know what we were doing up in there. Right. <laughs> the neighbors passed a piece of paper around, a petition to get us barred from the place. The owner come down there and Dick gave him a couple of tickets to the Ram game, and he said, go ahead and do what we want to. So we cut a hole in the in the wall with a saw and made it so we could run through the apartment. <laughs> <laughs> and that guy let us do all that kind of stuff. Every black entertainer, uh, sports or whatever it was, has come through there. So I knew everybody that was a musician, everybody who was a player. The only white dude that come through that man that didn't give a damn about that was Paul Hornick. Paul Hornick. Yeah. And he, who, who, on a, oh, he on dated a two, on a, on, oh, he did. Well, but on a two-win football team, he wins the Heisman? Like, Notre Dame won two games that year, and he won the Heisman. Yeah, well, that's, mm. that's what they was doing yeah, in they were days. just giving that thing away. Now, to how you guys. go play football and Jim Brown didn't win the Heisman? That's crazy How talk. did Gerald Sayers not win the crazy Heisman? Talk. Okay, well, you yeah. just keep going further and further. Yeah. Um, so, so, the Black Packs running the game. One of the things, uh, I saw some story about, you getting kind of, you know, identified by LAPD and having to walk the line. I know you don't drink, but they made you walk the line. But it was right out front of Johnny's Pastrami. And, and, you, and you, I think you were saying that that's where that's a place in Culver City, right? No. It, it's a different this, place? The walk on the line was not me. It was my brother. Oh, it was your brother. And it was up on Adams and uh, Crenshaw. Mm. And him and a guy named Alvin Hall was in the car. Okay. They drunk. And in them days, they, when they drunk, it wasn't no breathalyzer and all that. They made you walk a line to see how can you walk straight. Mm-hmm. Dick walked about three blocks on the line, didn't miss a stroke. <laughs> now he's drunk. The cop got mad and tore up the ticket. <laughs> he didn't miss a stroke. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm going to name a, a few people, uh, Norm, and, and say what you will be. I, I was just, um, it's unbelievable to think of all these people coming through at this time. So, Wilt Chamberlain? Oh, yeah. We knew Will. 
Hank Aaron? Hank, I knew Aaron, Hank in spring training. Red Fox. Hank offered me some money. For what? For the one of the women I had down in Florida. <laughs> she looked that good. He offered me some money. But Red Fox, we were just like that. Red Fox? Funniest man I ever met in my life. It, besides. Well, I, well he, was I, a, he was a character, Red yeah. Fox. I wow. Mean, yeah. So, okay, uh, Aretha Franklin. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> now you done started something. Okay. That's all right. It's, it's, we got time. We got time. No, I no, got time. No. If you I, got time. I, what you want to know? Uh, the book in, indicates that maybe you're dating. Were you dating? Well, what, what had happened was we was on about an 18-game day homestand, mm-hmm. and we had Kansas City. I don't know her, and I could walk from the – Hotel I was living in, a black hotel, to the ballpark. Mm. So I'm coming down the sidewalk, and it started raining. When it rained in Kansas City, that's it. <laughs> you, you know the game is raining. Mm-hmm. So in order for me to get out of the rain, I ducked up into this little nightclub called the Mardi Gras. Mm. And lo and behold, she's appearing in there. Wow. But I don't know her. But there's another lady I did know was in there. She said, I'm having a block party this coming weekend. I want you to come, and I want you to bring Aretha with you. Mm. I said, I don't know Aretha. She said, well, let, let me fix that up. So she introduced me to her when she got through singing. And she didn't feel like talking or nothing. She was all sweating and everything. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, let me do it. I said, here's my number here. You call me tomorrow. We get together. So I gave her my phone number. She don't call. Now, I'm mad now. See, I'm mad. I'm bad. I'm the man. I'm mad. <laughs> so I'm walking down the street. And I run into her. Lo and behold, I bumped into her. And I called her a bunch of names and everything. <laughs> And it was a record that came out by a guy named Chuck Jackson. And I asked her, had she heard that record yet? And she said, no, but you could put a quarter in the record machine and play six records almost, just like that. Mm-hmm. So I put it in there, and I'm on the way to the ballpark. And she listened to that, and she hummed and listened to it. And about two times, she had the whole song down. She mm-hmm. liked it. So I said, well. What, what song? Yeah, I'll Wake Up Crying was Wake the name up. of it. Okay. And she liked the song also. So I told her, I said, well, you know, uh, I'm pitching tonight. And why don't you and your manager, she had a manager, a lady named Sue, mm-hmm. come to the game. And you can come out there and watch to see what I do. She said, well, I'm not going to be able to do it because I got to sing. I said, what time is it you have to go on? She said, 10 o'clock. I said, oh, the game started at 6. <laughs> and it almost be over or close to it. So anyway, I said, I'll leave the tickets. You do whatever you're going to do. So I go to the game. We play in Baltimore that day. I'm, I'm nasty that day. I'm pissed. <laughs> I don't – not because I'm thinking she's going to be there, but I had all my stuff working, 2-2 two to two going in the 10th, and we beat them 3-2. to two. Mm. I come in the nightclub that night, great big spotlight caught me at the door, and I heard in the background, my man, my man, this is my man. I'm going to dedicate this whole night to this guy. So I come wow. in there, and she sung to me and everything. Oh, wow. And then when she got through, she, I, she said, I got a surprise for you. I said, what you got? She said, I got a suite <laughs> that I took out on top of the, the hotel. We in there. We go in there, and she got this record on this little machine, and she's playing that record. Oh, look out. And all night that went through with that. Oh, all right. And she's singing to me, man. Wow. <laughs> That's a that's an unbelievable story. That's great. But when the deal was over, when she had to leave – there's where the story get really good. Oh. She got ready to leave. She wouldn't get in the limo. This is 2 in the morning. Okay. She didn't cry. Oh, I don't want to leave him crying and all that. Wouldn't get in there. So I had to coax her in there. She'd break her loose and run down the sidewalk. Wouldn't get in there. Finally, she left. 
So, so when I get home, I tell all the boys about this story. Yeah. And they don't want to hear it. They say, he lying again. He I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I come home, about 12 of them was out there that day. And I didn't know something was up. And they took me and put me in the car, and they driving down the street. They say, we're going to find you out tonight. I said, what's happening? She says, Aretha's appearing right down here tonight at a club called The Hideaway in L.A. In L.A. I didn't know that. So we go down there, and on the way down there, I had to do something. So I said, when she see, if she see me, she's going to stop playing and run through the crowd and jump on my neck and cry <laughs> like a baby. And they said, man, you still won't you stop. So we go in there, and lo and behold, she's playing the organ. And she saw me coming through the crowd. She stopped, cried like a baby, ran, and jumped on my neck. I didn't know she was going to do that. I hadn't seen her in a couple of years. That is fantastic. Yeah, she did that. Now they're mad. <laughs> now they're, now mad. they're real mad. <laughs> they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, they're mad. Oh, that's something else, Norm. And so the boys don't want to hear that story. No, they get, they get to hear it now. How about, um, uh, I understand, Bob Gibson, Jim Brown, these, these also came through? I know all them guys. And, and th- they're also coming through. Now, one of the stories um, I found interesting was about Cassius Clay. Oh, this, yeah. This is, this is before he was Muhammad Ali, and even before he fought Liston, I believe, yep, right? Yep, So how, how did you meet him? What had happened was that it was a lady who used to play poker with us, the only woman that played poker. She could beat all the fellas but me. <laughs> and so I used to tell her, I said, if you want to get better, give me $5. And I'll give you some training on Wednesday. So I've talked to her. She said, you know what? I know a guy that run his mouth just like you. I said, who is it? And she was talking about him. Had you heard of him? Oh, yeah. Oh, but sure. She did, but she didn't use no name. Okay. And she said, I know this guy, she said, that run his mouth just like you. I said, well, get him in here. Get him in here. So I looked up, and he, she brought him over to the house. He come in the house hollering about he was the greatest. And he got up in the couch and started running up and down the couch. We playing poker when he came here. And when we played poker, we got our guns on the table. <laughs> I got mine. Nah, it's like, you know, who doesn't do that when they We play got poker? them sitting on the table. So all of a sudden, we all turn around and put the gun on him. And he got down in the crouch and stayed in the crouch for about an hour. <laughs> scared to death. So you guys are just messing with him. <laughs> Because you know he won the Olympic gold medal. We know all that. He was, he all was that. coming up the ranks, but he hadn't, he hadn't won the title yet. Yeah, so he, that's how I met him. <laughs> so that's, a, that's, how, that's a nice introduction. Did he come back by? Did he come back by? Oh, he come back by a couple, a few times. Yeah? Yeah, he come back. And you guys getting a woofing contest? Well, we, we'd introduce him to women. He was a square, man. He couldn't, he couldn't, <laughs> he didn't know how to talk to women. Uh-huh. He was just a boxer, big dumb boxer. <laughs> you know, he couldn't play no other sport. Really? Well, you would think a boxer would be pretty agile, pretty sure. uh, athletic. We take him to the basketball court. He's dribbling with both hands. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard Muhammad Ali made fun of before. But he this didn't have great. any 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 coordination left. Oh wow! So this is uh, about a year, I guess, before he beats Liston for the title. So he's yeah. got to beat Patterson to get to Liston, I think, or something. Uh, I don't remember. I no, I don't know if he did or not. How yeah. that went, but I know he yeah. went Liston wow. in Florida. Yeah, he sure did. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, so look at all these people that are, that you're rolling rolling with. Anybody I left out that's uh, that you remember from coming through that time that was an interesting character? Well, uh, uh, Gail Sayers used mm. to come through there. We used to laugh a lot. If he saw me right now, he would run right out the room laughing. <laughs> he would start laughing. And uh, yeah, he's he's from Kansas, right? He played he played football know, in Kansas. Do you know a guy named H. B. Barnum? 
He's a musician. He plays for movies on themes okay. and things like that. He was well known a musician. Sure. Well, he come by there one day looking for Dick, uh-huh. and I well, I was the only one at home. And he came by there and we waited. I said, Dick, probably be here pretty soon. He said, "You play cards." <laughs> I said, like, yeah, mm, I dabble. We played, so he wanted to play a game called Tunk. Okay. And head up, and we playing for $10 and $20 if you tunk. Uh-huh. I'm beating this guy's brains out. About five or six games in a row, I'm taking all his money. And he's trying to boop, bop, doop, doop, doing all that, trying to trying to do a little music scanning and all that while we playing. Sure. Next thing I know, he was singing in Spanish. Uh. That's interesting. <laughs> That's how bad I was whooping him. But he, he wanted to pay you off in pesos. But no, I, no, but no he, 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 he was getting beat so bad he didn't know what to do. And he started singing in Spanish. I said, dang. <laughs> um, there was um, a, a, a KIIX TV show that was going on in these days. Now, was that like a local television station? Is that why a lot of these um, the athletes would come in and they would go on that show? Do you remember this at all? I read somewhere your, your son was writing about it seemed like that was, might have been a local like um, broadcasting show, like something like KDOC or something like that. But well, I know that my brother and Bill Russell mm. and a guy named Purvis Atkins was the first black dudes to have a sports show on television. Yeah, that's that. They, I think they that's had that. They had they they was on that show. Wow. Uh, in the background was Quincy Quincy Jones mm-hmm. and all that, but the thing folded. But they were the first one to have a show like that. This is a time, um, you know, in the '60s. Obviously, there's there's a lot of uh, racial tension um, in, in this in in this city as well as in the country. And and LAPD has a, you know, a terrible reputation. Oh yeah. Um, but I understand. Was there at one point a judge who ordered you guys to, you know, stay within your own boundary or something like that? We were barred from house parties. <laughs> From your own house parties? No, from other folks' houses. Okay, there you go. And the judge said, I don't want you guys attending no house parties. You can have your own. That's why we gave parties every night. Okay. But we couldn't go to nobody else's because we fight. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) See, it was three or four of my buddies was down here that didn't play sports, but they all from Vallejo, and that's all we did in Vallejo was fight. (laughs) And so we get in the fight down. Them guys didn't know that we was treacherous, man. (laughs) That was one of the reasons Dick and my buddy went into the bail bonding business. If somebody jumped bail, you could go get them and beat <laughs> their butt. It's all right. And they went up on a ship and whooped a sailor one time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a turnaround <laughs> on the zoot suit days. That's so a- they loved that aspect of it. It wasn't about the money. It was just whooping this guy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, Norm, how is it? Um, tell us, how, how does it end with the Kansas City Athletics? Uh, 63, I think, right? Well, the arm was so bad mm-hmm. that I couldn't even uh, take a shower, man. Mm. The arm would just lock right there. I couldn't throw. And then arthritis was sitting in, and they didn't know what to do with arthritis in 1965, 60, all that. Mm-hmm. And I got a hold to a doctor there, and you know what he was giving me? 16 aspirins a day. Oh Jeez. God. He said, the more you put in your system, the better it is. It burned a hole in my oh. kidney and all that. Couldn't even drink water because Ooh. of that. So I stayed on that for two years. Then I finally I stopped taking that. Then I got into watching what I eat and everything, and I started feeling better. That's how I got into chicken and fish and all that. Okay. I met this guy that was doing acupuncture mm. from China, 
And acupuncture was illegal in the United States when I met this guy. Mm-hmm. But he would meet in people's houses, and he'd call me on the phone, tell me to come over. Hmm. I'd go over there, and he'd stick a couple needles in me. He'd fix me up. Hmm. That's, he the one told me about the diet. So did the, did the Kansas City Athletics send you back to El Paso? Is that how that happened? Well, they, 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 they sent me to El Paso. Now, I pitched one game in that league. Mm-hmm. I win, but I can't, can't even eat. My arm locked. Hmm. Couldn't throw. Hmm. And when I couldn't throw, I said, well, maybe I can still play football. <laughs> okay. So that's how m- I got, that's most how people, I got most, football. Most people in, in the athletic world who get run out of one sport, they don't say, oh, I know. I could go play in the NFL. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, 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 that's what that. I thought. <laughs> and, I, and I told Dick, I said, Dick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out here and try to see if I play football here. So Dick and Olive Manson and all them guys would take me to the field and run me through exercise they said the biggest thing that's going to be a problem i hadn't played football in seven years mm-hmm. was your neck your neck might break because you haven't been hitting nobody or nothing mm-hmm. so they run me through a bunch of drills they got me ready they worked me out and all that mm-hmm. and the rounds wanted me to come out there for them so dick bass ollie matson matson was a usf guy right i think he i think he was a he was a great player san francisco yeah yeah he was terrific yeah uh, he was in the hall of fame yeah Holly oh. Matson ran in the Olympics. Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, that's right. He, he was super. He, fat. he, he was me and Dick's idol. He, he was, was our he, idol. He was part of that USF Don's team that went undefeated. No, that was Bill Russell. No, no, no. I mean in football. Oh, oh football, oh, yeah. Yeah. Ollie Matson, Did you yeah. know they were supposed to play in the Cotton Bowl? Yeah, and then they wouldn't. And they wouldn't play because right. he was black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So the whole team didn't play. Yeah, and that's why they finished nine and zero, and they've held yeah. that throughout. The, they stand tall in the in the it was, of time. It was uh, Ollie Matson. He was yeah. tough. Wow, so they were running you through drills, getting you ready. And they got me ready, and I didn't really know what kind of condition I would be in in the first place. I hadn't played football in a while. So Denver, one of the coaches down there used to be at COP. Mm. He heard about I was going to try to play football, and they offered me a couple grand and some shoes. I said, well, let me go to Denver. So I went to Denver on that. When I got there, they had 90 guys in the camp, 90. 90. And they only kept 34. And, and, and you went, this is in Fort Collins, I think, or something for training? I mean, you're mile high. We in That's Boulder, gotta... Colorado, where okay. the camp was in Boulder, at the college out there. Wow. But That's gotta... not only did I, I hadn't played in six or seven years now, I still had on high-top shoes and all that. <laughs> Didn't never seen a kicking shoe. Oh. Never heard of that. They had invented a kicking shoe. Okay. And I didn't even know whether I could kick no more or nothing. I wasn't even in there. I was trying to make the team. So the first scrimmage they had there, I made the team. The first scrimmage. First scrimmage you make the team. Make the team. The guy that was all league was coming around the corner, and I jacked him up and stopped him for a loss. And the man said, that's just the guy we're looking for. <laughs> I made the team. And out of 34 guys, I make the starting team. Wow. wow. The first wow. league game was against the Jets. I'm kicking off. You know how I got the job? You're kicking off in an NFL football game about uh, less than a year after you got run out of Major League Baseball. Yeah. (laughs) But what had happened was that uh, I had a sprained ankle one day. And when you have a sprained ankle, they put you on a field. They had two practice fields, football fields. Okay. And I'm over here with the ball boy. And I said, hey, man, you got a tee in there? Kick it. You know where you put the ball on the tee? Mm Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, I said, get that out. Let me try something. I put it down, and I limped up to the ball with a sprained angle, and I kicked it and went about 20 yards. I said, baby, I wonder, can I still do this? I was just curious. So I kicked another one and went about 30. 
and there's scrimmages going on over here. Mm-hmm. So I got back this time, and I rooted one. It went off the field, <laughs> over the goalpost, upside the wall, and they stopped the, the scrimmage. <laughs> and the coach said, who in the hell kicked that ball? <laughs> and I'm talking stuff, not me. That's I'm like, the one that did it. You're like Forrest Gump running and through they said, football uh, practice in Alabama. Somebody get him a kicking shoe. I said, give me some tennis shoes, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I was the kicker. Wow. Okay, so your first game against the Jets. Jets the Jets. Yeah. How'd that and go? I kicked off. You kicked off. And all them guys was teasing me about coming to base football, go back to baseball on the sideline and all that. Mm-hmm. But I could handle it. I said, don't let me catch you on the field out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that game go? Oh, we got beat. Yeah. We got beat. Denver didn't have. But on that team, we had some individuals on there that was pretty, almost uh, a lot of them in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Willie Brown was on that team. Wow. Uh, Ike Lasseter was on that team. Uh-huh. Uh, Hewitt Dixon was on that team, the running back. Sure. Did I ever tell you that uh, one of the players that I played with at COP was playing with the Oakland Raiders? His name was Wayne Hawkins. He was Wayne all Hawkins. pro lineman. Uh-huh. He told Al Davis that I was over there at Denver, and I knew all about the game, and I'm going to hook you up on the phone with him, and anybody you want to know about, he'll tell you. <laughs> so he called on the phone. He put Davis on the phone, and Davis asking me about Hewitt Dixon. <laughs> Al and, Davis getting deep intel from the guy who oh played yeah. against all these guys. And did you know I told him about Hewitt Dixon? They had him at tight end. Huh. I said, he's a running back. <laughs> he made a trade and got him just on what I told him. Wow. And, they, and they win the Super Bowl, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow, look at you doing this behind the scenes Well, work. The, the Wayne Hawkins knew I was pretty smart. I was, a, I was a smart dude. I could figure out something. We had a coach in college. Wait, I thought you were you weren't smart enough to play quarterback, though, Norm. Well, well, that was in the freshman. <laughs> but the coach on the team, he judged your smarts about a checker game. Wow. Huh. He played checkers with everybody, and he judged your intellect okay. about a checker oh. game. He don't know that me and my dad played three hundred games a day <laughs> of checkers in the eleventh and twelfth grade. Okay. And so we get on the thing, and I jump all his checkers. I just jumped all of them, <laughs> and he was following me around the campus. He told Dick I was a genius, man. <laughs> man. Is there anything you can't do, Norm? Uh, and I'm talking all this stuff to him. How did, <coughs> how did it end with uh, Denver? Arthritis got so bad, I couldn't walk. Mm-hmm. I was taking shots from a private doctor, cortisone, so I could even go out on the field. Mm-hmm. Finally, I had to stop. Mm. They didn't even know I had that. Yeah. I'm playing with what I got now. The arms are bent, fingers are bent, and I'm playing football like that. Mm. They didn't even notice it. Wow. I'm hitting them pretty good, man. <laughs> and so you just said, I can't do this. Well, I knew I couldn't do it. I yeah. knew I couldn't pitch no more either before they told me that. Your, um, your son uh, writes in the book um, about being at the crossroads, and it's like slowly, cruelly, my father was ushered into a world of uncertainty. Only with the knowledge that his professional athletic career was suddenly over at the age of 26. It was early June 65 in El Paso. Uh, Texas would see Junior in a professional uniform for the last time. Then he was unceremoniously disemplained to an empty, desolate place called the Crossroads. Sports world he so desperately yearned to be part of glided across a big stage without him. Your son's a good writer, by the way. I I didn't know what to do at that point. All Mm -hmm. I knew was sports. Yeah, and then suddenly that was taken away. Right, fifteen years I was bitter, mm. not at the game, but because I couldn't play no more. I was all pissed off. 
Mm-hmm. And one day I was taking some kids to the park, and I looked in the window, and there's a guy who was playing ping pong, table tennis. Mm-hmm. And he was playing, this guy was about 40, and he was beating the little boy about 12, just beating him, just beating him up. <laughs> and I didn't like that. I went around in there, and I said, man, let me play the winner. And I took the house paddle, and I beat this guy. <laughs> and he said, hey, man, you're pretty good. He said, uh, we play down here on Saturday and at this club, and they said, you need to come down there with us. So I, that's how I started. So that's how you started. Now, that was before that that you were finally diagnosed appropriately with rheumatoid arthritis. Is that correct? Yep. And um, one of the things I found so interesting is um, – so you're diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis of the most of the most um, severe type, but you your mind starts racing backwards, and you can remember this time when you were playing pickup basketball with Robert Curlin, who, right? Is that is that his name or or you were Doctor Curlin? Yeah, and so it says uh, your son writes uh, perhaps the most frightening recollection he surprised himself with was when in 1960 yeah. with Doctor Robert Curlin. Um, he, my father loved to play basketball at Queen Anne Park, so he goes up and to Dr. Curlin, and you showed him your right pinky that you had injured during a recent pickup game of basketball. And Dr. Curlin says, um, I don't know about your finger, Norm, but you have severe rheumatoid arthritis. You have about five years to pitch. Well, and he didn't even say that. He said about two, maybe, maybe. Wow. So that's he wild. Told me, he told me I was, uh, that's the best I can get out of that. He was a Rams doctor. And, and you at the time went, oh, yeah, okay. Like you just kind of, you kept moving. Like you, you didn't. Well, I believed him because I knew in my heart that I was deteriorating. I knew I that I wasn't going to be able to play that that long. Right. And that was taken away. Right. All that was taken away. So now I'm going through this, this funk here. And I didn't, sure. I didn't even know what I made on the job I was working. I didn't even look at the check. You went to um, McDonald Douglas, worked for McDonald Douglas in Culver City? Culver City was a friend of mine who worked in personnel, and he asked me, what was I going to do? I said, I don't know. He said, why don't you come out here and let's sit down and maybe there's something out here you might want to do. So I went out there, and he showed me the machine room where they had computers and great big old t- magnetic tapes. Mm-hmm. The guys walking around with pipes in their mouth, sweaters on, slacks. I said, that's me right there. <laughs> so uh, that's how I got in the machine room. This, okay, so that's July of 65, and, and, and that's I when became, you joined McDonald's. Uh, I joined as a computer operator. A computer operator in 65. And that was the guy who ran the printers and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, what, as this started, these years started to pile up, I would imagine you really missed competing. Well, what had happened was that uh, that's when I found table tennis. Mm-hmm. I found table tennis after about 15 years. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I said, I wonder, can I play that? Okay. So I go in there, and they got these different kind of paddles. They got all kind of rubber. They got all kind of rules. I don't even know the rules. This is at um, Rogers Park? Rogers Park. Yeah. So I tried to play with a conventional paddle, but it was too heavy for my strength that I had at the time. Mm. I had to take a Motrin to play every time I played. And, and, and did you have to grip the paddle in a different way because of your uh well i had to hold it in such a way and and i couldn't hit a a conventional stroke i had to push the ball i see and i had to play defense so that's but the paddle was too heavy okay so then i picked up another paddle and it felt just right that's called a hard bat Mm. no sponge it's just rubber on the wood Mm -hmm. and i started using that and i got that down where i'm pitching again i'm changing speeds I'm, I'm hitting it hard. I'm hitting it soft. I'm moving it. 
So then I got excited, and all of a sudden my whole thing was fulfilled through table tennis. Um, I find this interesting. They talk so so this Rogers Park. It was like it was the the hub of people that were playing table tennis, and and somebody says in in the book they say um, the strange thing about Norm is that he's able to take the skill he developed in the professional world world coordinate it with table tennis play and then bring in a different personality. We never had a person go figure. We never had a personality like Norman before in table tennis. Before everyone was tremendously serious no jokes on the sideline or anything because the concentration was as intense as it could be the concentration was that serious norman came in and in his own way broke up that seriousness everybody started enjoying playing table tennis with a lot of camaraderie and joke about a good shot you could intimidate another player but in a fun way so they, you, they wouldn't so you even clear their throat up in there. It was so quiet that you clear your throat up, somebody going to cuss you out. Because you're supposed to be quiet. They wanted to hear the ball hit the table. They wouldn't speak. They wanted to fight. And so I didn't know the rules. I come in there talking, like always. And they said, man, you can't talk. I said, where the rules at? Where the rules say you can't talk? And I'm talking. And then finally they started getting into that. Then they started having fun. But it was a morgue in there, man. Thirty guys sitting around the room in there. Nobody said a word. Oh, man. Now, how are you going to have fun with that? You're not. Uh, and they were so serious about the rubbers and the, about somebody called a bad call. And I didn't care about that. I went down there every week and took my whipping for about a month. For about a month. <laughs> then when I saw what they were doing, I said, now nah, I got to get the ball down lower over the net. And I got to push it around. And I got to stay out of the guy's strength unless I want him to hit it. And okay. I started thinking like a pitcher. Okay. And then I start beating them guys on just knowledge. So like a pitcher, location, right. change of speed. And a pitcher, I don't care how old he is, he can remember what a guy hit when he was eight. <laughs> if, if you can't remember that, then you're not a good pitcher. So you're remembering each of these players, their tendencies. Well, this guy was hitting topspin. Mm -hmm. And topspin is a dangerous shot. And it was just coming into table tennis then. Mm -hmm. This one guy could hit it this way with top spin and he could hit it this way mm -hmm. but when he hit the top spin his arm is way over here and i say if i push that thing over here he can't get his arm back mm -hmm. so i started making him hit like this because he <laughs> mm -hmm. he couldn't get his arm back so i started moving the ball around and i started hitting the corner of the tables a lot and they called me mr chips <laughs> And that's how I got the name, because I would chip the edge so, and chip the They didn't like that. that. Was that Sydney and I did it, played him? And yeah. I did it consistently. Yeah. Okay. And so I changed all of that. Um, so, 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 Norm, obviously, what was the process of going from, like, playing at Rogers Park? It, what, what, did they have tournaments that you could then, like, Well, they in-house tournaments, but what, what happened, they got tournaments all over Southern California. Mar Vista was one of them. Sure. That was the first tournament I played in. They took they took me up there to play in a tournament. I never played. Hmm. And when you play in a tournament, I didn't even have a rank. They got rankings. Mm -hmm. And they have to watch you play, and they give you a ranking when you start. So I played in the tournament. I went through that group so fast. I'm sitting down waiting on the other bracket <laughs> for the guy to get to the end. And I waited about an hour. I had beat them guys to death. They couldn't deal with that little stuff, that little soft stuff and all that. And I beat them, and I won, won the tournament just on the first one. <laughs> and then when I went down to Laguna, I played in the tournament, and I had they they matched me up with a German with a, a Russian junior champ. Oh wow! I take him to the wire. Okay. And then they gave me a rating when that was over. They gave me a rating. Uh, 
If you are rated over 2,000, that's elite tennis, table tennis. Okay. My first rating was 2,015. Wow. Most people get 1,500, 1,600. So that identifies you so that, so that whoever is running our United States table tennis program, all of a sudden you're identified, and then subsequently on some level you're, you're classified as a Category 7 as it relates to the well, Paralympic Games. Is well, that category right? Category 7 has to do with Paralympics. Mm-hmm. Category 7 is, depends on your disability. Mm-hmm. You've got to have something wrong with the top part of your body as well as the bottom to be a 7. Mm-hmm. And uh, you are rated that way. But this other rating is for able-bodied table tennis players. And uh, you can't play nobody lower than you by the I rating. See. Not unlike getting a handicap in golf or something along these lines, but table tennis... Obviously, being an Olympic sport, it's much more precise. But a, but a person who has a disability, he has to play able-bodied players in tournaments. They don't have no special thing for you. You got to pay them. How do you make a? How do you make like the national team and then move towards qualifying for the Paralympic Games? You how have to go out of the country at mm. least one time. Okay. And you have to get to the, at least to the quarterfinals, and you got to you got to beat somebody. Mm. And they give you a rating, and they take 12 guys to the Olympics and that kind of thing. And you have to be in that group. Where'd you go? And that's when I went to Australia. I was ranked number five. Wow. Now, how did you get that, how did you get that high of a, a... I beat some guys that were better than me and had higher ranks. <laughs> I beat your butt. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, did any of these guys, like, were they upset about the, your style of play? Oh, they wouldn't play? shake my hand. They get mad. Like your style of play? Did that they, take they them off? They get mad. They walk off. I, I got... Seven chips in a row with a guy. Hit the net, brr, and the guy got mad and threw the ball at me. 100 miles an hour, he threw the ball, and I moved to hit. And we got a, there's a judge and a referee sitting right there. They don't say nothing to the guy. Wow. I called time. I said, hey, man, you see what this guy just did? Aren't you going to tell him something? And they get the judge and referee didn't say nothing because, you know, we are Americans. And Americans get the wrong end of everything when you go out the country. Sure. So they said uh, he didn't say anything. I said, well, excuse me for a minute. I walked around the table. I told that dude, I said, hey, man, you hit another ball like that. You fool around and hit me with the ball. I'm better at this now. I'm going to beat your butt. <laughs> yeah. So when I beat him, he walked off the table and walked all the way around the venue. Wouldn't shake my hand. Oh, man. I followed him. All the way around till he sit down over here and made him do it. I said, come on now, give it up. Made him do it. Made him do it. <laughs> oh, man. So you qualify for Sydney Olympics. For the That's pa- how so, I qualify. So, so uh, for those that don't know, the Paralympics are married very closely to the Olympic Games. I mean, they either they, take place before or after. They play every place the Olympics plays, but they play like two weeks after they finish. Mm-hmm. We have bigger crowds. We had 100,000 people at the opening ceremony. Wow. And, and then, you know, in the, in the United States, you'd be lucky to get 20 people to watch a table tennis match. Now, that's that's got to be exciting. Um, I understand, um, I think, Claudia, who we both know, for, I know from the YMCA. You've known her for years. Um, she hosted a, a going-away party at her house before you took off for Sydney. Is that right? Yep. Yep. And that must have been fun, and that must have made you proud to be wearing – you know, the official, uh, well, official gear. And all of them was there at the thing. Rosie. Uh, Rosie Greer. Uh, Ollie Matson was there. Lou Johnson. All them guys. Because I know all them guys. They were there. And, they're, uh, and, and, and they, they were gotta there. Be, they got to be tripping out on you. What, you're 61 <laughs> at the time? Well, 61, that was yeah. almost unheard of, man. You're, you're, you're like 60. You're going to be playing all these younger younger guys. 18, 19, and I'm whipping their butt, man. And, and, and you're about to take off for Sydney. Did you um, – I would imagine – 
you're a confident athlete. You probably didn't get nervous much. Did this make you nervous? No. No? No. I, I wanted to know could I beat this guy. Uh -huh. I wanted to know. I, it wasn't that he was too good and I was going to panic. It wasn't that. I was never, I, I was never afraid of the challenge. Uh -huh. I played the number one player from Germany. Couldn't know the United States player beat this guy at the time. And this is in Sydney? This is in Sydney. Uh -huh. He got the camera set up over there filming the match because he just figured he could send that back to Germany and, it, and he was going to whoop me right quick. Mm -hmm. He won the first game. I win the second one. Mm. Now we got to go three. I said, I bet you'll take those cameras now. now won't you? <laughs> so he took the cameras down, and I'm chopping the ball, and this guy's crying trying to hit it back. <laughs> He's the number one player in the world. He's crying. Uh, he couldn't hit the chop because nobody – Chopped. I was the first one to bring the chop to the game. You know, I lean back on your fastball. I could catch it and I chop it. And the English comes back this way. And when they hit the table, you try to push it, they go down in the table. I was doing that to these guys. So the German was the number one ranked guy? Yeah. And you took him out? He wanted me to move to Germany. <laughs> he wanted me to be <laughs> in said, their, on their club. Das Brecken der Deutsch. And then when I be walking around in China alone, I don't even know these people. They be walking around imitating my chop. Wow. Yeah. All right. So to take me through the tournament in, in Sydney. You beat the German in the in, – in the, uh, is it is it single elimination bracket players? No, I didn't beat him. I beat him a game, but we couldn't beat him. But he we had to go three. So is a pool is a pool play followed by bracket play? How did do, how do the Olympic games Well, work? the Olympic games is this way. You got to play one doubles and mm -hmm. the rest of them singles. You got to mm -hmm. win three games in order to advance. Mm -hmm. and me and my buddy had to play two singles and a double. Mm -hmm. Now, the Germans had the, the best – doubles team in the world mm -hmm. and me and him never played together but we was on the team because we had to make up something we beat them in, in double we beat the number one team wow but we couldn't beat them in single okay and so how did you get into bracket play or i mean how did you get into metal play what that's when i got to bronze yeah we, we had to beat this team to win that and mm. we beat another team we beat switzerland and, and when, once you beat Switzerland, you knew you had secured the bronze? Well, it was for the bronze. It was for the bronze. Yeah. And, and, uh, that uh, must have been a, a, a pretty good feeling, huh, knowing you're getting Well, that's when medal. my brother showed up. Yeah. Dick came. I had a sponsor then that sponsored all my clothes and money and everything. Uh, yeah. And this guy bought a ticket, a round-trip ticket for, for Dick, for Norman, and for Purvis. Wow. Who and did I didn't know this. Who did that for you? What was his name? Uh, he went to jail shortly after, but... <laughs> I can't think of his name, but he had a business down there on Wilshire. But he went to jail. No kidding. It's something he did way back with racket. Nothing to do with your uh, no. syndicate of a tennis. No, he was giving me ten thousand uh, dollars every quarter, every year, and I buy equipment and anything I wanted to buy. And uh, that's okay. And I'm playing this guy for the for the bronze. I won the first game, and he got me fourteen to two. Ooh. And the game is 21, and it, that particular day, arthritis was kicking my butt. Oh, man. So all of a sudden, I hear this voice came from the stands, and it was my brother, man. Oh, wow. But I gave one up just like that. Oh. And I beat that guy 21 to 14. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Ran off 19 on him. I ran him off on him. And the chop, he was scared to death <laughs> of the chop. And Dick said, come get that ham. Don't let that sucker beat you. Wait, what did Dick say? <laughs> he come, said, come, come get this ham. <laughs> <laughs> and I brought my game out, and I started chopping this guy, beating him to death. That's and this guy won the gold in his in his class. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what was it like being on that uh, medal stand? Uh, 
we it was great, man. It was great. We were standing up there and 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 the whole thing when you come into the arena is it goes up like that, right? Mm-hmm. Fifteen thousand people average every mm. game. Your mm. name is up on the thing. Your country's on name mm-hmm. on there. His name, and they escort you around the table to your table. It was all first class, man. Mm. Butterflies, all that. I didn't get none of that. I couldn't hardly wait to get to these cats. Yeah. <laughs> so you, so you got your bronze medal, yep. and now, um, when did you meet? Like, what happens after Sydney? When did you meet President Clinton? I saw a picture of you uh, I shaking hands in, with him. I met him in uh, November of, of 2000. He was on the way out. Mm. I met him in November. He was the first president that had the Paralympics and the Olympics come together at one banquet. Okay. He's the first one that did that. And, you, then, and that was in Washington, D.C. What did you say to the president? Anything? Uh, when I come in the room, man, he was standing up there. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, I want to know about the Oval Room. <laughs> and them guys reached in their pockets to get the guns. And, and Clinton said, we're going to have to talk, me and you. That's what he said to me. I said, show me what the Oval <laughs> Yeah. Lord. And so yeah. we. <laughs> yeah, you're the best. I asked him, where is that room that you were doing that damage at, man? <laughs> I love Norm. Okay. Uh, new favorite person in the world, Norm. Um, how do you get elected to the United States Table Tennis Hall of Fame? And for those that are watching on YouTube, you'll notice that here at the coffee company, um, there's a, a, the plaque uh, that commemorates Norm being in the Hall of Fame for the United States Table Tennis. Um, is, is sits here, and this is, in effect, your table that we're doing this interview at. And, and how, how did that come about, the uh, Hall of Fame? Uh, after I had quit playing, I got a phone call from my coach, and he told me that I had just been elected on the first round, unanimous, to go into the Hall of Fame. And he wanted to know, could I come to Vegas? I said, yeah, I can come to Vegas. <laughs> and that was in uh, 70, uh, 1918. 2018. 2018. Yeah. And I went down there, and a lot of the people in the pool, a lot of them ladies came down there. Mm. They bought their tickets, went down there, and they had a big banquet. They had a dinner and all that. And my son was the one that introduced me down there. That's got to be a proud moment for you. Right? Got to be real proud. And you get introduced, and you're in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I would like to uh, officially, um, no ballot needed, we're going to put you in a, the Sports Stories Hall of Fame. My, my, my show. I just made it up right oh, here. Oh, made it up? Yep. I'm so inspired by you that I just made it up and put you in our Hall of Fame. <laughs> I was the only guy that seemed like that was having any fun, man. These guys <laughs> want to fight. Mad. <laughs> they get all upset at their teammates and all that kind of stuff. I had to stop all of that kind of stuff on our own team. They had this couple guys that didn't like each other and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And this one guy in the wheelchair, he says to me, old man, how can you have a higher rating than me? <laughs> That's what he said to me. I said, you're in a wheelchair, man. He said, I can beat you. I said, how do you figure you can beat me? And so one day they went to lunch, and I didn't go and he didn't go. I said, they got a table over here. Nobody in here now. I don't want you to get embarrassed. Let's me and you get on this table. I got the guy 15 to 1. I stopped the game, and I'm talking stuff, too. I said, now, who got the one? Wait a minute. I'm confused. Who got And I'm talking. And so I beat him to death. He never said that again. Yeah. I said, how do you think you're going to beat me? You can't get around, dude. You, you, still, uh, you still chip away at all? Oh, yeah. I go down to the park. Sometimes I don't play. I just watch. Mm-hmm. But uh, lately I get up there and I at least hit 
hit for about 30 minutes with them guys. Then when they run their mouth, I'll go ahead and uh, I'll, I'll dust a couple of them. <laughs> I, um, well, uh, I, it's, it's been my fortune to, to uh, strike up a relationship with you and get an opportunity to know you. And one of the reasons I did, Norm, was because I noticed um, people seem to gravitate towards you. Because, uh, you know, for listeners that are listening right now, there's um, the pool area over at the YMCA, and there's, there's one pool where I, I would warm up and, and I'd work out next to you. And I was always impressed that you're getting your workouts. You're very consistent. But also the uh, community you brought around you. You, um, you know, interacted with everybody, made everybody feel better. And uh, that always impressed me about you. And uh, I'm glad I know you. Well, that was like my second family at the Y. Mm-hmm. I came down there and recommended by the doctor to try the heated pool mm-hmm. and exercise. So I went down there, and I didn't join. I just took out that, that uh, temporary thing that you mm-hmm. take out, and I wanted to try it out. I tried it out about two months before I went to Australia. Mm. And I noticed that my game, I was a little quicker mm. by doing this. So when I came back, I couldn't hardly wait to join. That's how I got into that. Great. And if you stop doing that for about even just two weeks, you see the difference. Yeah. That's why old people do what they do. They don't exercise consistently. You got to keep it going. Even if it's just in the water doing that, that's all. That's enough. Mm-hmm. That's enough. Yeah. But absolutely. all them years we've been seeing each other, he never knew nothing about me. <laughs> I didn't. I knew. Well, I knew you were a nice guy. Oh. But you know, and I know you could talk a good game. I didn't up. know you actually played a lot of good games. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I talk a lot of stuff. I didn't talk. I wasn't the first one to talk, but I talked more than anybody else. Though. <laughs> yes, yes, you did. So Norm, I'm glad we know each other, and thank you for being on the show. This has been our pleasure. You, you've been, you've been, you're my number one guest now. You just Thanks, moved Norm. into first place. Gold medal. I appreciate it. I was glad to do it, man. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is supported by the AAU. Find a local event and join at aausports.org. And remember, you can catch your favorite amateur sports live stream, replays, and highlights at ballertv.com. Sports Stories, along with East Bay, supports the Heroes Movement, a nonprofit that bridges the gap from mental or physical therapy to getting strong again through strength and conditioning workouts. This free service is available for any veteran of the United States Armed Forces. Visit heroesmovementusa.org for more information. Sports Stories, along with thousands of people across the country, also supports the My Stuff Bags Foundation, a nonprofit that provides traumatized children with new belongings and new hope. Learn more at mystuffbags.org. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is a production of Sports Stories, Inc. and is available on Apple Podcasts and YouTube or wherever you listen and watch. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. It really helps spread the word. You can find all our social media links, archives, and other info on our website at sportsstoriespodcast.com. Special thanks to the John R. Wooden Course and Wooden's Wisdom. Original music for Sports Stories is courtesy of Lennon Music Productions. Original images by Sienna Lennon Photography. Sports Stories is produced by Christine Jimbo and Marley Rice. Sports Stories is edited by Bob McCall. Additional staff include Ray Castro, Teresa Dolan, Jake Downey, Carlos Haro, and Buck Magic Lennon. Check it out, book!